This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. You don't have enough money for that extra vacation you want this year? You just believe God for it. He wants to, he's big enough, he'll give it to you. While they're trying to figure out how to feed their kids the next day. We're talking about people. They're rich in faith, they're rich in joy, they're rich in peace, they're rich in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they have absolutely nothing. And after five hours of being in church with them, preaching message after message, I was done and they weren't. Sometimes we have to look around and notice the things we take advantage of. In America, People are blessed with jobs, opportunities, freedom to choose a religion, or none at all. But in other parts of the world, people risk their lives to read the Word of God. And the day will come when we risk our lives for His name. That name is Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Josh examines the world we live in and how it's ultimately up to us to choose a life that reflects the light of God. Will today be the day you choose God? Now. Here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, as he continues his message, Doctrine, False Doctrine. servants, when they start to see it grow, and by the way, when, when wheat and tares are at their immature adolescent age, you can't tell the difference between the two of them. And said, so, well, we saw the enemy sowing the tares in the field. What are we supposed to do? Do you want us to go tear them all out? And the master said, no, lest you tear out some of the wheat while you're tearing out the tares. Don't worry. When the harvest comes, it's all going to be sorted out. And Jesus basically says, that they're the ultimate judgment for what is true and false and who propagates it is going to be left up to Jesus on Judgment Day. I believe that these examples emphasize that the Lord would rather spend us spend the majority of our time planting good seed and loving the truth and watering good seed rather than walking through the field being like we are God's theological police officers. You know, I'm going to go find every little tear in that field, and I'm just going to rip it up, you know. I I have found in some of these quests that people have, they get on this, like, dilemma or agenda that sometimes people get so consumed with what's wrong that they begin to forget what's right. Always looking at every error and never seeking the truth. However, and don't worry, I'm not saying however on my own accord, we must not lose sight of the other words Jesus taught us. When wheat and tares grow into the mature stage, their fruit differentiates what they truly are. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then he says this, therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. 
So while it's not our job to just go tearing through the field and judging everyone, it's everyone's salvation and putting everyone in this camp, it is our job to say, there is some obvious bad fruit and we need to guard against ourselves against it and we need to be aware about it and we need to identify it so that we don't walk in error. You understand? Jesus and the apostles did this very thing specifically on multiple occasions. Listen up. Paul called out by name false teachers in his letters. He rebuked Hymenaeus and Philetus for their eschatological error in overthrowing the faith of some, telling them that the return of Jesus has already happened. He called out Alexander for his blasphemy. John called out Diotrephes for his ill treatment of the church, his spiritual abuse, and his desire to be preeminent among the apostles. Jesus called the Pharisees, check it out, whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, and children of the devil right to their faces. Paul called out Peter in front of other people when he was starting to distort and misrepresent the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 16, listen to Paul's language carefully. He says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the what? Doctrine. You have learned and avoid them. He says, don't just talk about it. Mark them out, note them so that you can avoid the error. And so in the remainder of our time, I want to I didn't get through all these, and I'm not going to get through them all now, but I want to identify a few fruits that I believe are dangerous roots in the church. And again, please know that I love you. I don't say this to offend you. I don't say these things to be a judgment to anyone. I'm just saying what is out there, what exists. Please hear that. The first true cancer and error, I think, that has permeated the Western church specifically is what is known or termed or coined as a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel changes the purpose of the gospel. I would define such a gospel as one that declares that one of the purposes of Jesus' death on the cross is to make you materially and financially wealthy on this side of heaven. And it's not hidden even. I, went, I just quickly went on Amazon and I just typed in the book section, Jesus Prosperity, that's it. Here are the first titles of the books that came up. Book number one, Jesus Wants You to Be Rich. Book number two, 20 Days of Prayer for Prosperity in the Jesus Made Me Rich series. Book number three, The Laws of Prosperity, a Divine Revelation. Book number four, You're Supposed to Be Wealthy. All Christian, Christian books by Christian authors, Reverend so-and-so, Pastor so-and-so, Apostle so-and-so. The titles go on and on. But here's the reality of the prosperity doctrine, the idea that Jesus' price on the cross made God's intention towards you to, to bless you with every physical blessing that you can imagine. If you're poor, if you're not wealthy, if you don't have extra, you're not believing big enough, you're not asking God for enough, you need to believe more because God wants you to have more, basically diminishes the gospel of God's grace, forgiveness of sins, and redemption to a get-rich-quick scheme that appeals to the fleshly and carnal nature of human beings who want to root their identity, their value, their joy, their contentment in something rather than someone. And I have found that the prosperity doctrine works really, really well for those who preach it and not for really anyone else. Prosperity doctrine would teach that the cross of Jesus is less about dealing with my sin 
and more about ensuring that I obtain all my earthly desires. It advertises all the pleasures of the world at the expense of Christ's sacrifice. And of course, this teaching appeals to the masses. Why wouldn't it? Who doesn't want to be healthy, wealthy, and without a problem in the world? Self-proclaimed teachers and prophets use the carnal desires to take advantage and fleece the flock, robbing them for their own financial gain and the building of their own kingdoms. Peter and Jude describe these very people in the exact same way. Both Peter and Jude write, they have forsaken the right way and they have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam is an Old Testament prophet who used his prophetic status to trick the people of Israel into a curse so that he could make a few bucks. Beware the language, church. Plant your seed of $100 in my ministry, and God will reward you tenfold. You will be out of debt by this month. You just need to claim that wealth that belongs to you, and God will be obligated to give it to you. Do I have the tone right yet? I'm not, okay, I'm just making sure. We refuse the theology that allows for sickness. Poverty is a sin because God told you to multiply. Jesus isn't sick. There's no reason for you to be sick. What do you need? Start by speaking it out and creating it out of your words. Speak to your billfold and tell your billfold you are full of money. God will begin to prosper you because money always flows from righteousness. Josh, you're going overboard. Stop making it. Those are all 100% word-for-word direct quotes from those who pack out stadiums of tens of thousands of people every week worldwide. They're blasted through TVs and radios and airwaves and internet and sold in almost every Christian bookstore. I want you to contrast those statements to the statements of the Bible where Paul said, My outer man is wasting away. Where Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, I know what it's like to be poor and have nothing, and I'm content. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Jesus himself had no place to lay his head. He did not walk around, contrary to some prosperity teachers, Jesus did not walk around in designer robes. I couldn't believe that when I heard that. The the soldiers at the feet of Jesus were casting lots for his robes because they were so nice. James gives us a warning about wealth on multiple occasions. For no sooner has the sun risen with its burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich also fade away in all of their pursuits. James told us that God has chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith, but prosperity doctrine says you, if you are rich in faith, you will not be poor. You couldn't get a more contrasted, backwards idea from the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 6, here's Paul says to do. Church, if you hear this kind of language, I'm going to be bold enough to say, get the teaching away from you. There's plenty of other sound theological teaching and reading and listening that you can do than to hold on to that one because of something that was moved you emotionally at one point in time. Well, Josh, can't we just take the good and spit out the bad? Not according to Paul. Listen to what he says. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness... 
He is proud, knowing nothing, is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Notice this characteristic here, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. That is specifically financial, worldly wealth, gain. What does Paul say to do? From such, withdraw yourselves. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Withdraw yourselves. And this stuff is out there everywhere, you guys, and it just, it sounds so good and it's so inspiring, but really a lot of this stuff is human, age-old human philosophies wrapped up in spiritual language. It was years ago when I was kind of battling with the whole Joel Osteen thing. It's like, well, you know, he's a nice guy, and a lot of people listen to him, and talks about Jesus, and he talks about how, how good things are. In fact, things are always good. But when I saw him on the stage with Oprah Winfrey, now what's his audience? Millions of people. And he gets on that stage, and him and Oprah stand up there together, and they lift up their hands. Now repeat after me. I'm good enough. I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I am favored. I am strong. I'm an overcomer. And everyone's like repeating, you know. By the way, that's an age-old thing called positive self-talk. And it's in psychology everywhere without Jesus. Just, you know, don't get negativity away from you. Speak things that are positive. Speak your dreams out and build. And I'm sitting there like trembling in my boots for this guy. He's talking to millions of people, the majority of whom don't know God, are enemies in their sin, and are headed for hell. What he needs to tell them is, you are not enough, but God is. You are a sinner, but God came to forgive you. You need to repent and turn from your sin and submit your need to Jesus and let his truth define your life. That's what they need to hear, but instead, he's going to tell them how to make your best life now. And it's disturbing to me because it's void of the truth and really behind it, it's just to appease everyone. And this is, this is the tone of churches and pulpits today. And I understand the temptation. I understand what it's like to look at an audience who you love and a lot of people who've come from a lot of backgrounds who believe a lot of different things and want to just placate to say, a bunch of stuff without really ever saying anything, just so everyone stays in the seats, no one leaves, and everyone's smiling and happy. And that's the general tone of church today. But what we need is clarity on the truth. We need the right voices speaking into our life. We want the whole truth. And so I think that this prosperity idea, it's been around for ages, but it hasn't loosened its grip. It's ultimately exposed for what it is, but... I tell you, um, I've been to Haiti, Africa, India, a lot of different third world places that that I'm there. And and I tell you what, I I taught at a church in India. I drove out in the middle of nowhere and went to this church. It was a concrete pad. It's 110 degrees out there, 500% humidity. Missouri's got nothing on India, trust me. And all the people from the town started coming to church. Their kids had minimal clothing on, all barefoot, running through sewage everywhere. The people 
have absolutely nothing. They're living in squalor. I couldn't imagine standing up in front of them and saying, you just have to believe bigger. Just speak your positive dreams out and watch God make them come to pass. You don't have enough money for that extra vacation you want this year. You just believe God for it. He wants to, he's big enough. He'll give it to you while they're trying to figure out how to feed their kids the next day. We're talking about people. They're rich in faith. They're rich in joy. They're rich in peace. They're rich in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they have absolutely nothing. And after five hours of being in church with them, preaching message after message, I was done and they weren't. Now, I am not, listen, I am not magnifying or glorifying poverty. I'm not saying you want to be spiritual. You, you be poor. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is wealth Poor, rich, money, all these things. Jesus came to make us rich in the, real, in the true ways. Jesus came to free us from, our, from an identity that is dependent upon our wealth or our status or our circumstances or whether or not we have all the comforts or everything we want in this life. He came us to free us from the ambition, selfish ambitions of our dreams and give us a vision for his kingdom. The second, and we'll close here, Tremendous cancer that I've seen rear its ugly head more in the past two years in our nation specifically is the cancer of progressive secularism in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, notice, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Perhaps one of the most frightening revelations within the church over the past several years to me is how quickly the church has adhered to and adopted the godless, secular, and demonic doctrines and influences of the culture and incorporated them into their theology and their credo and their sermons and their church missions. When it comes to ideas that were born in the hallways of godless academia like critical theory, gender identity fluidity and reassignment that lead to these aberrant doctrines like liberation theology, satanic thievery of changing God-ordered sexual identity in human beings. The church in large numbers, more than ever before, is trumpeting philosophies and ideas that are contrary to the very nature of God and his truth. When, you guys, when you see the church of the life-giving God parodying the shouts of women's reproductive rights and minimizing the impact of the church's voice and responsibility to see righteousness poured out and impacted in every area of our society, I believe that Satan has effectively blinded and lulled them into a spiritual slumber. You can add gospel terms to secular ideas, but ultimately, the fruit clarifies the substance. About progressivism, C.S. Lewis once wisely said, we all want to progress. But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. <laughs> it's amazing today that leftist progressive thought in the church today it's not moving us, progressing us forward to Christ. It's moving us back to the Garden of Eden where Eve was deceived by the serpent. 
Paul warned us, did he not? Colossians chapter two, verses eight through 10. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Will you repeat this, please, with me? I am complete in Christ Jesus. You don't need some college professor to tell you your sexual identity. You don't need some politician to tell you your rights. You don't need some, uh, I got ahead of myself there. I can't think of the next one, but you get my drift. (laughs) Here's the question the church should always ask. Whose drumbeat are we marching to? The culture cries. The godless culture cries, oh, white people are racist, and especially white conservative evangelical Christians. So the church scrambles, oh no, what are we going to do? Let's hire a more racially diverse staff so no one thinks that we're like racist or anything. The culture cries, we need more tolerance and inclusivity in our, the church scrambles to be LGBTQ affirming and create new theology and adapt the mission of the church to the screaming voices. The culture cries, the Bible is misogynistic and homophobic. The church scrambles about having the to redefine scripture and less words of God's truth. And the culture cries, women's rights, my body, my choice. The church scrambles around and talks about having liberty of conscience and how you vote. God cares about blessing you with more money in your bank account and how your marriage is doing and how your relationships are, but he doesn't really care if you vote for people and parties who order the slaughter of innocent unborn human beings, desecrate the image of God in their sexuality, and indoctrinate your children with satanically influenced ideas. Oh, God doesn't care about that. That's between you and yourself. And Josh is getting too political on us again. It's been a while, so you needed a little (laughs) reminder (laughs) Seriously, though, what have we become? Are secular humanists and politicians calling the game plan from up there for the church? Okay, this is a play, you know, scramble here. Oh, come on. Okay, set up this team over here. Okay. What we need to do is shut the voice of the world and turn up the volume on the voice of God. His word needs to be the sole influence in how we define what we believe, who we trust, what we live for and the righteousness that we live for in this world. The church is not to cater to the loudest earthly voice, but to submit to the loud heavenly voice. Jeremiah chapter 6, he, if, listen to this sad invitation. I say it's sad because of the response of God's people. In Jeremiah 6, God says, this is what the Lord says. Ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Disaster came because they did not listen to the ancient words of wisdom and they rejected his law. Let us listen to his voice. Let's put aside our preferences and our leanings and our emotions even for a moment and say, Lord, help me be grounded in what you have said. I'm out of time And so this morning, I'm going to end there. But again, I I hope you hear my heart. I care for this flock to just love the word of God, to feast on his faithfulness, to find yourself in Christ. 
You've never heard a truer word spoken than the message given by Pastor Josh Blevins as he spoke in today's edition of The Ascending Life. In case you're hearing us for the first time, we're a ministry out of St. Joseph, Missouri. And like so many outreach programs, it wouldn't be possible without the generous donations of people like you. All we ask is that if your heart was touched today by Pastor Josh's message and you feel led to further the truth of the gospel, would you consider clicking on the Giving tab located at our website, theascendinglife.com. If you're interested in getting to know us a little better, go to the About link located at the top of our page, theascendinglife.com, or watch us online via Facebook. While you're there, check out all the other avenues to get into God's Word. There's even some options for when you're on the move. Under the Media tab, you'll notice links to podcasts and our YouTube channel. That website again is theascendinglife.com. As it's our desire to point you to Christ, it's also our wish that you would simply feel free to talk with us if your heart is heavy with life or full of praise. Just dial 816-279-2090. That number again is 816-279-2090. We look forward to hearing from you. Friends, there's no better place than to be here learning about the life-giving Savior who is Jesus. So, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for taking the time to listen to this broadcast of The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing